So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hello, and welcome to Pause and Connect. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and this is episode 20. That's exciting, 20. It's called, What Advice Would You Give to New Parents? So this comes about because my teenage niece, Ruby, called a while ago to interview me for her child development class. Her assignment was to find a parent and ask them a bunch of these different parenthood questions that the teacher had put out. And it was really fun to think through some of them. Like uh, one was, what's the hardest part of parenting? Or what do you think kids need from parents? You know, just things like that. It was kind of fun to talk about it. Um, But there was this one that I haven't been able to get out of my mind and I've been thinking about a lot and and still thinking about it even today as I as I prepared for this podcast episode. So she asked me what I would tell a couple who are about to become parents. What advice would I give them? And wow, like what a question, right? Like that's that's big. What what would you go back and tell yourself? What would you tell your younger sibling who's about to become a parent or your child who's about to become a parent? If you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? And it's it's so hard. It's so hard to narrow it down because parenthood is just so vast. There's just so much involved in it. There's so much to say. But then because there's so much, like how, how can you say anything? You know, it's not it's not sum upable. You can't sum it up. So where do you begin? And can you even begin to have a conversation about that? And also you you have to kind of take into consideration, like what kind of advice does, does a couple who's about to have a newborn even want, right? So I thought for a while and I had some, you know, funny, dumb thoughts come to my mind, like, you know, make sure you have plenty of laundry stain remover because those newborn blowouts are so, so much. At least my kids were. Um, I thought of everything I teach about connection here in my podcast and in my self-guided course, How to Stop Yelling. I thought about how connection is more important than correction and how I wish I had understood that before I became a parent. But what would I have listened? <laughs> what new parent wants to hear about how to discipline, you know? That was the first, furthest thing from my mind when I was pregnant for the first time. I was not thinking about disciplining my 13-year-old. I just wanted to know how to keep my baby alive. And I was terrified about breastfeeding. Those were the things that were occupying my mind at the time. I didn't really need to be thinking about what to do when my child disobeyed me three or 13 years from then. So even though I think that's fantastic advice is to teach about connection over correction, that's not really what... A, a new parent needs to hear. I don't think so anyway. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it is because they, they could get a head start. But when she was asking me, I, that's that, that didn't seem right. So what would you say? How would you answer the question? What is the best advice you could give to a couple who are about to become parents? Well, this is what I ended up saying. I said that Assuming this hypothetical couple actually wants my advice, (laughs) I would tell them to become students of themselves, to know themselves, 
to make that a lifelong priority. So why does this rank higher than all the millions of things I could have said, for me anyway? It's it's because when you know yourself, you like yourself. When you like yourself, you have confidence in your decisions, in your parenting. You don't need to compare yourself to others as much, and that's such a good thing in parenting because there are plenty of people out there inviting you to compare. So when you know yourself, you can ignore those voices. Knowing yourself also gives you the freedom to learn from your mistakes and improve, which is so good because otherwise, if we don't feel like we can learn from our mistakes, then we beat ourselves up over tiny infractions, huge mistakes, and and it's so difficult to move forward. And when you know yourself, you feel joy. And we all deserve joy, especially in our parenting. And the final reason that I think this is the best piece of advice, and there's plenty more reasons why this is good advice, um, is that knowing yourself and being a student of yourself and living a life in pursuit of knowing yourself fills your cup. You know that cup analogy, where you have to have something in your cup if you're going to pour into anybody else's cup. So in this case, since we're talking about parenting, that would probably probably mean our children, right? Like we have to have our cup full if we're going to take care of our children. This is a good analogy, I think, that helps a lot of people give themselves the self-care that they need. But I once heard an interpretation of that analogy that completely transformed the way I look at myself. And I, I want to share that with you because it's so good. And I wish I could remember where it came from. If you're listening to this and you know the source of this, please tell me because I would love to link to it wherever it is. But it was a while ago and I don't remember. I heard it on a podcast, but I don't even remember which one. So anyway, when we hear that we need to fill our cup so that we can pour it into someone else's, we're picturing our cup being full to the brim, right? We've got to get it full so that we can then go pour it into somebody else's. So let's say your kid or your neighbor needs some emotional or physical energy from you. Your cup is full to the brim and you're able to go pour some of it into their cup. That's that's the analogy that we use. But there's a problem with this visual because that means your cup gets emptied a bit. And what happens if you have to go pour into a dozen people's cups? By the time you get to your dozenth person, dozenth, that's hard to say. By the time you get to your 12th person, you're empty. You haven't had time to refill. So this analogy also suggests that we constantly have to be refilling. It's a lack mindset. Like you're losing something and then finding a way to get some of it back. And that's exhausting. That's a really exhausting way to live our lives. So I, I, I hope this is resonating with you that your the cup analogy is good. We do need to have a full cup so that we can share with others. But the idea that we're pouring something that we have into somebody else is that lack mindset because now we have to go and get some of it back. So here's here's the good part, okay? Here's the additional part of that analogy that I heard on that podcast that I just love. So what if instead of pouring from a full cup that empties, your cup is always overflowing? What if your cup is full because you have what you need And then there's excess because you're so taken care of that you have more spilling out and you can share it with others. So now when somebody needs something, you take a spoon and you scoop up a bit of your overfill and you go and you give it to them. You don't have to replenish anything because you had excess. And if you keep your cup in that state of overfill, this is this is how it is. You're not living your life pouring out your cup and then somehow trying to refill it. 
Now, of course, nobody can keep their cup in a state of overfill all the time. That's the ideal and it's not possible, but I think that picture is better. When we don't have to give of ourselves and lose ourselves, then we get to give because ourselves are full, right? We, we're, we're so full, we have extra. And that's a much better life, I think, than the one in which we're constant, constantly depleting and replenishing. Now, of course, I'm going to say it again, we cannot be in that state of overfill all the time. But how about we aim for it? How about we let ourselves get completely full so that there is more spilling out? Now, I believe one way to do this, and I think there's probably so many, we could probably have 100 podcast episodes about the different ways you can make sure you have an overflowing cup. But one way is to be a student of yourself, to always be learning about yourself and to be loving that learning. Now, I want to pause and say that what I'm suggesting here could be feeling painful for some of us. Now, we've all experienced hardships and some of us are going through incredible hardships right now. And so what I'm saying might sound really Pollyanna-ish, right? And then some of us have experienced abuse that has torn us down. And so I recognize I'm suggesting something here that is more practical for someone who already feels some level of being emotionally stable and supported. So if this idea of becoming a student of yourself is sounding jarring or triggering, please, please forgive me. I I never want someone to feel on this podcast that I am adding guilt to their plate. Absolutely not. And please be kind to yourself for your feelings. I recognize that for some, what I'm suggesting might be too difficult to do without therapy. So please feel permission to take care of yourself and find that support. Okay, so let's talk about how we can come to know ourselves. And again, I'm not suggesting to do this without therapy if if you're in a bad place. One of the first and most obvious ways to do this, to become a student of yourself, is to get quiet with yourself and dig into who you are, what you like, what you hate, what makes you want to move, what hurts your heart, what you're good at, what you wish you could be better at, what lights you up, and on and on and on. I think a lot of us picture journaling and meditation when we think of this type of quiet time. And those are definitely two of my ideas, journaling and meditation. But also, I think there are lots of other less obvious places for quiet time when you can just hear your own thoughts and feel comfortable in them. And I think that it's good to look for those less obvious places, especially when you're a parent, because when you're a parent, your time is so reduced. And so you can't necessarily sit and meditate for a half hour in the morning. Um, Some can, but in a lot of seasons, you can't. And so um, finding finding quiet time in less obvious places is something that's really helpful and something that you can pursue. One is being in nature. Even if your kids are along with you, you know, you can still experience quiet time in nature or taking a walk in your neighborhood. One is exercise. There's something about pushing your body that frees up your mind to go where it wants to go. Another idea is to write down your dreams in the morning. Your dreams are telling you a lot about yourself. So write down what you remember as soon as you wake up, and then you're going to start to see what's going on in your mind. You're going to learn about, learn about yourself. And the more you do this, the better you get at remembering your dreams. Cleaning is another time when you can get quiet. And for some of us, that's the only time we're going to have, right? Because some of us are so in the thick of the heavy parts of parenting that there there isn't a lot of time to step away and get a beautiful meditation. So take what you can get. And cleaning is a time when you can get quiet because there's something about the mindlessness of, let's say, washing dishes or vacuuming that lets your brain travel. And 
you know, of course, if you have lots of little kids, it's not like this is going to be a beautiful, quiet time of 30 minutes of cleaning the house and being uninterrupted. But again, there there hopefully will be a little moment in that where you you your brain can just go where it wants to go. Showering or driving can have the same effect. And now I'm sure there's countless ways to get quiet, but the point is to just actually do some of them sometimes. Now, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering I'm supposed to be answering the question of what I would tell a couple who is about to have a baby. And well, quiet time, like I've been saying, is really hard to come by in those early stages. That's so true. And no matter where you are in your parenting stages, quiet time is still probably hard to come by. So this might be easier said than done, of course, but the point is to figure out how to fit it into your life and to not feel bad about about the amount that you take or the type of quiet time that you fit in. Like there's no there's no prescription here. You can do whatever you want. And even if it's only 60 seconds on Wednesday morning before the baby starts crying, yay, you got 60 seconds of quiet time, okay? So just get quiet at some point and let your brain tell you who you are. And remember, you can't do all the things perfectly all the time. <laughs> Another way to get to know yourself, to be a student of yourself, is to learn your strengths. Spend time actively pursuing and understanding where you are strong. Ask others to tell you what your strengths are. Think back to what you did well as a child. Think of what comes easily to you now. And then focus on those throughout your day instead of your weaknesses. <laughs> so for example, let's say you're terrible at cooking, but you're great at social interactions. Focus on that strength that you're great at social interactions. So the way where these two, this, this weakness and this strength come together is you go to a potluck, okay? Let's say you take a nasty salsa to a potluck but you have so much fun with your friends. Go, the thing that we tend to do is focus on what we did poorly. So the thing that you might do is go home and say, ah, the Pollock was so fun, but I ruined it with my stupid salsa. Why did I even try to make this, you know? But instead, remember how you made a new friend or how you told a joke that made fun of your bad salsa or how you got someone to open up to you and focus on that. And then, you know, maybe don't even try to make the salsa. (laughs) Bring store-bought next time, you know. If you know that that's your weakness, don't try to make it something that you're amazing at. You're amazing at the social, so go do the social. I hope that makes sense. In parenting, find what you're good at and then enjoy having that be central to your interactions with your kids. So if you're enthusiastic, be enthusiastic with your kids instead of shrinking and hiding that part away because you might feel like you're too loud. Be loud. Be who you are. If you're calm and collected, bring that into your parenting. That's such a strength instead of trying to be outgoing like your neighbor if you're not outgoing. Does that make sense? Just find, be happy with what you're good at. (laughs) I realize as I'm saying that, that sounds, that sounds really, um, I can't think of the word, but that, that does not sound nice. Like, oh, just be happy with what you're good at. I'm, I'm not trying to be trivial here, but I am trying to say, like, we spend so much time focusing on how we're not as good as somebody else that we miss those things that we're really, really awesome at. And so really find what you're good at and let that, let that be what leads you, okay? If you don't, if you're not good at sitting still and doing the homework with your kids, but you're good at getting out and running around with them, let that lead and then find some help for how to do the homework with your kids. In my course, Find Your Strengths, I have a course for this, I actually guide you through this process of doing just that, finding your strengths. And it's 
such a fun course because it walks you through so many aspects of yourself in a really positive way. You feel so, so good when you do this. And when you're done, you have this full individualized picture of yourself that you can use to help yourself make future decisions, to improve your happiness now, to help yourself be a a parent that you want to be, and so much more. And because... I'm so glad that you're here listening to this podcast. I have a discount code just for podcast listeners. So use the discount code podcast, all one word, for 25% off. The link to that is going to be in the show notes. And you can use that at any time you're listening to this. Even Even if you hear this a year later, I'm going to keep that open for my podcast listeners. Okay, now the next thing I'm going to say might sound funny after what I was just saying about strengths, but it's important too. And that is to face your weaknesses. So instead of hiding your weaknesses or being ashamed of them, bring them to the center of your mind, greet them and recognize them, and then go back to your strengths. So it's like, hi, you're there. I see you. I'm going to pay attention to the strengths now. Okay. Instead of, oh, I hate this weakness about myself. Shove it down. Don't pay attention to it. And then it grows and grows and grows and has to come out. Instead, pull it up. Hey, I recognize you and then move on. Go back to your strengths. So what does this look like in real life? Think back to the salsa example I shared above. Tell yourself that you're a terrible cook and you don't like it anyway, okay? And it's okay. Now that's the facing part. You faced it. Then decide if you want to overcome it. You might want to overcome it and that's okay. Go ahead and work to overcome it. Or you really might not want to fix this weakness of yours right now. You might want to later, but you don't want to now. So then you can decide that. I I recognize I'm not a good cook. I'm going to focus on my other strengths. And then I'm going to bring the store-bought salsa without feeling bad and let the other strengths take the lead in the party. You know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who does exactly this. She's so kind, so caring. One of those people who's social, she's, she's there for anybody at any time, gives gifts. But if she's ever asked to bring a meal to someone, she's like, I don't cook. I'll bring them in and out. And that's just what she does. She doesn't feel bad about it because she doesn't, that's not her strength. She's like, I'm a wonderful crafter. I'm a wonderful friend. I'm a terrible cook. And I, and that's it. And she doesn't, she doesn't have to feel bad about it. And she has found a way to still serve people with food when she wants to without feeling bad about it and giving them good food. They get in and out. Okay. So in your parenting, if you're a yeller, let's say that's your weakness, face it tell yourself you have a tendency to yell instead of yelling and then beating yourself up. Okay. Because remember things that are shameful that we hide, those things grow and they become unbearable and they come out in really bad ways later. So when you hide your weaknesses from yourself, it's still going to come out anyway. You're still going to yell if it's your weakness. So face it, recognize that you struggle and then go back and think of your strengths and shove all the strengths into your life to crowd out the weakness. The weakness is still going to be there. But because you're leading with your strengths, it's not going to have as much time to come forward. Okay, so you'll still want to yell, but you'll have all these other strengths that are taking up your your time and filling your day. And so the yelling will not come forward as often. And because you'll be leading with your strengths, you'll be more confident. And then when the weakness comes forward, you'll be able to forgive yourself and you'll be able to see it as it is instead of um, spiraling and starting to feel like you're the worst person in the world. You'll be like, oh yeah, that's my weakness. It came out again. I'm going to apologize to my kid. I'm going to apologize to myself. I'm going to forgive myself. And then I'm going to move forward and I'm going to go back to doing this other thing that I'm really good at. 
And I have a good episode on how to find your child's strengths. It's episode 15. So if you're liking this talk about strengths and weaknesses, go back and listen to that because you can apply the questions to yourself. All right, my next tip for learning how to know yourself and how to be a student of yourself is to do the things you love. And that feels really obvious, but we don't do it as adults. (laughs) So a lot of pop culture tells us that once you have kids, you're never going to get to do anything for yourself again. And a lot of social media paints that picture too. So if I were talking to a couple who's about to have a baby, I'd tell them that's hogwash. Now, yes, things shift. Yes, your resources, your time, your energy, your motivation, they go to your child in a, an amount that you had no idea was possible. <laughs> so much of, who, of what you have is going to go to your child. And that's, that's the way it just seems to happen. But you still deserve to do the things you love. And this is an important part of being a student of yourself. The more you find that you love, the more you know about yourself. It, it enriches your life. It brings you joy. And that helps you handle parenthood with more joy and more confidence and an ability to deal with the setbacks and an ability to learn and to, to get better and to improve. And of course, there is a time and a season. You can't always devote all the time you wish that you could to your passions. But when you have the mindset that you deserve to do what you love, that's going to help you make time and space. Now, if you don't have passions, because that happens to a lot of us as adults, we get so wrapped up in adulthood, we forget what we love. So that's part of being a, being a student of yourself. That's what it's all about. Try things and don't be afraid to not like them. Don't be afraid to like them either. Just try things. All right, my next tip for how to be a student of yourself comes from the actor James Payton. A friend of mine shared a cameo from him. Cameo is where you can um, you can have a celebrity send up, you can you can uh, order or buy <laughs> buy their time, and you can have them make a personalized message to someone. So in the cameo, he was doing this for some fifth graders, and he gave them the advice to fall in love a lot. <laughs> and I loved that. And then he he explained. He said fall in love with things, with hobbies, with people, with life, with yourself. Isn't that just a cool image? Let yourself try that. What can you fall in love with this week, this month, this year? What about today? What about this hour? Go outside and find something to fall in love with. Stare at your child and find something to fall in love with. Stare in the mirror and find something to fall in love with. Can you do it? Make a list of your interests and pick one to fall deeply in love with. The possibilities are just endless when you live a life where your goal is to fall in love again and again. I just loved that advice so much. All right, another tip for how to be a student of yourself is to allow yourself indulgences. (laughs) Let yourself have the treats you like. Watch the shows you like. Go to the places you like. Because as we get older, we get practical. And it's not our fault. There's bills to pay. There's people to keep safe. It's hard work. But it's so easy to let that crowd into our lives. And then we begin to deny ourselves indulgences and luxuries because they aren't practical or because somebody else needs something. Now, it's kind of scary to let yourself have an indulgence, right? Because you might feel like, oh, what, what if I go overboard on this? But you probably won't because you're already a practical parent. Giving yourself a little a little luxury, a little indulgence that you just really want is is probably not going to take everything away from your child because you're already somebody who has been giving so much to your child. So give yourself the freedom to enjoy the things you love from time to time, even if they aren't practical. And my final tip for how to be a student of yourself and how to know yourself is to serve others. 
pretty much everything I've said until now has been me-centered, you-centered, right? It's, it's been about how to know yourself. And that's okay because we need to know ourselves. We deserve to know ourselves. And a huge part of knowing ourselves is naturally going to be focusing on ourselves and learning about ourselves. But when you step outside of that and serve other people, you also get to know yourself in new ways. You discover more strengths and more weaknesses. You get humbled. You feel warmth for other people. You learn about other people and you learn empathy and so much more. Plus, you make the world a better place. And that alone is a good enough reason to serve. But as it applies to this subject that we're talking about, that also helps you find confidence in this world even better, which goes back to everything we've been talking about and why I think this is such an important bit of advice. The more confidence you have in who you are, the more you're going to enjoy parenting, the more you're going to know how to handle challenges that come up in parenting, the more you're not going to get overwhelmed or hurt when you make mistakes, the more you're going to be able to enjoy your parenting and do your best and forgive yourself when you mess up. Now, I think this is one of those episodes that could go on forever and ever without an end because I think there's so many ways to be a student of yourself. These were just a few that can help you get started. And I'd really love to hear what you think. What advice would you give to a couple who are about to become parents? Do you think that becoming a student of yourself is good parenting advice? Send me a DM on social media, tag me in a post, or leave a review. I am at Pause and Connect on Instagram and on Facebook. Much love to you. And remember, you can get 25% off my course, How to Find Your Strengths, by using the discount code PODCAST. The link to that is going to be in my show notes. Have a wonderful day and keep connecting. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.